It's the Americhicks with Kim Munson. The most important story. That seems to me like government is establishing a religion. The latest in politics and world affairs. If you give people rights, women's rights, gay rights, whatever, there can't be equal rights if there's special rights. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Surveys show that, that people still really prefer freedom versus force. It's the Americhicks dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. We've got a big show planned for you today. Uh, we've got in studio Ben Martin. Uh, you know him. Uh, he's an expert on the Federalist Papers. We've been going through the Federalist Papers because Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, our study of the Federalist Papers over at uh, Water's Edge Winery in Centennial was last night. So, Ben, it's great to have you in studio. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And, you know, these are just great nuggets of, of information. We need to know why we believe what we believe. But, uh, you know, before we get into that, you know, these big questions that we look at is freedom versus force, force versus freedom. Studies show that that Americans still like freedom. Uh, However, socialism, the narrative of socialism is being romanticized. People don't really understand uh, in many cases what socialism is. Socialism is force, and ultimately it comes down to either using a weapon policy or unpredictable and excessive taxation to take away other people's rights, property, and freedom, and that's never, ever compassionate to do that. And so that's why we are are using that as our litmus test as we look at different things as freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And uh, kind of speaking of that force versus freedom, freedom versus force, Taxation can come into play. And here in Colorado, uh, about 25 plus years ago, the people of Colorado put in place into our Constitution something called the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. And there has really been a chipping away and an assault on uh, Tabor, our Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. And so Natalie Minton is sponsoring through Colorado Engaged a Taxpayers' Bill of Rights boot camp. It's a training on August 3rd at the Lakewood Library. That is at 10200 West 20th Avenue. It's from 11 to 2 p.m. with a 1030 check-in time. She is asking for a $20 uh, a bill to cover all the costs, and that includes the booklet, refreshments, and T-shirt. And you can sign up for this training at coloradoengaged.com. That's coloradoengaged.com. And people many times say, what can I do? Uh, this is something that is very important. Go learn about Tabor and get your, your brain around those issues so that, in fact, you can go out and help protect that. And Tabor, uh, as many, uh, if you're listening to the show, it's basically about good manners. Tabor, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, is about good manners. It basically says, hey, government, politicians, bureaucrats, and interested parties, if you, A, want to raise our taxes, B, want to incur debt, or C, want to keep our tax refunds over a very generous formula of inflation plus population growth, you just have to ask us. And there is this movement afoot that they're going to try to make the case that they shouldn't have to ask you because they're afraid that the answer might be no. They want to take away your right to say no. And uh, so we need to make sure that we protect Tabor on that. So, again, that's Colorado Engaged dot 
calm. Uh, and so, uh, and the other thing that we need to make sure that we do, and that is sign the National Popular Vote Petition. And so if you want to find out where you can go sign that petition, you can go to coloradansvote.org. That's coloradansvote.org uh, so that we can get the question on the ballot on whether or not we are going to give our vote and our voice to the big population centers like Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, or do we want to make sure that Coloradans' vote and voice stays right here in Colorado? So be sure and check out coloradansvote.org. And then our inspiration for, uh, for today, I thought I'd go to Alexander Hamilton. Since uh, Ben Martin is in studio and we're talking about the Federalist Papers, and Alexander Hamilton was one of the three authors of the Federalist Papers, along with John Jay and James Madison. And Alexander Hamilton, smart guy, he says, people sometimes attribute my success to my genius. All the genius I know anything about is hard work. Again, people sometimes attribute my success to my genius. All the genius I know anything about is hard work. You know, Ben Martin, somebody, I think it might have been Thomas Jefferson that said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. I'm not sure you said that, but that's a good that's a good phrase. Okay, well, somebody said it. How's that? Okay, so, yeah. It's probably been said many times. That's for sure. And so for today's funnies, okay, question. What do you call a lawyer with an IQ of 100? Your Honor, what do you call a, a lawyer with an IQ of 50? A senator. <laughs> okay. okay politically correct today. Let me there, tell you. there we go. That's for sure. So, okay. I, and I did that. I thought that was great. You know, senators are in the Constitution. The, Fed, the Federalist Papers makes the case for the U.S. Constitution. That's right. So let's jump into it, Ben Martin. We have been going through the Federalist Papers. Uh, it's an, you're an expert on it. The Federalist Papers were written. They were these essays written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay to make the case for the Constitution ratification of the Constitution to the American people. So go ahead and set it up for us now. Okay. Well, today, Kim, is, a, is an important milestone in, the, in our discussions of the Federalist Papers, and it's also in the Federalist Papers themselves. We leave Volume 1 of the Federalist Papers, the first volume when uh, Hamilton first put them together into two books, and that was called The Union. And then we go into Volume 2, which is entitled, it's got two titles. Uh, one of them is Easy, The Merits of the Constitution, and the second one is the one that's probably more accurate, and it's the, the conformity of the Constitution to the true principles of Republican government. And we talk about over and over again, and we see so many people today talk about our democracy, our democracy, our democracy. Mm-hmm. The founders and the framers did not believe in democracy. They believed in republics. They could show over and over again how democracies continually failed, and they violently failed. And so we, they talk in here, and that is the proof put in the pudding, I guess you would say, is that when they're talking about trying to get the, the document that they they wrote the Constitution ratified, they have to show to the American people that it's not a democracy, but it's a republic, and that that's the whole part of the second portion of the Federalist Papers, is to prove that it 
conforms to the true principles of Republican government. Okay, so the Federalist Papers, there's 85 of these essays. Correct. And uh, and they were written, they were put out in pamphlets to to get the uh, American people to agree to ratify the Constitution. So volume one, what numbers is... One through 36 is volume one. And that's the... And I'll talk about that right now, if we will. I'm just in in our introduction, but that is called... That whole volume is called Union. The Union. And so if we talk about that, this is a big step. In Volume 1, we saw Publius in the first subdivision describe all of the dangers facing our young and fledgling country. Dangers from foreign forces, dangers from internal forces, competing states and politicians, and dangers from factions. Publius convinced us that the antidote to these dangers is in our strong union. And that's why that's what that volume is called. Then we go to the second subdivision of volume one and illustrates the insufficiencies of the present government under the Articles of Confederation, which I also call AOC. <laughs> to preserve How clever. the How clever. Yeah, it kind of came and to the, me. You know what? And, and that AOC didn't work very well either. It certainly <laughs> didn't. And the third subdivision, so we're talking about the insufficiencies of AOC in this okay. one, in the second subdivision. The third subdivision of the volume one is provided the need for a more energetic government to preserve our union, a government like the one described in our proposed constitution. So energy, and energy is another word for power, okay. power in the government. And, you know, of course, all of the many of the founders, many of the states were concerned about giving too much power to our central government because that's what the revolution fought against. Right. And so they said, you know, we 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 don't want too much power in the government. And so that's what is the genius of our Constitution. And it's talked about here in our Federalist try Papers, to get that balance. how to get that balance between energy and stability, between the different divisions of the state. And so we talk about that here. And so this is a well-formulated argument that he shows in, in volume one, and there are, that there are many dangers that threaten us. And the solution to defeating these dangers is through our uniting and forming a strong union. But our our current government under AOC is insufficient to preserve our union. Therefore, we need a government as strong or as energetic as the one prescribed by our proposed constitution to preserve our union. So in volume one, Publius demonstrates the necessity of the proposed constitution. So that's where he talks about the necessity there, the necessity of that government, a strong central government. In volume two, we go into a different mode. We, we show that, that he describes in detail the constitution and its merits which conform to the true principles of Republican government. In essence, what Publius is showing is our Constitution is not only a necessity for our survival, but it is also a good form of government, possibly the best form of government the world has ever seen. And that very much parallels Franklin, Benjamin Franklin's closing statement to the Constitution. And I might include that here in this introduction in a little bit. But let me let me finish. And and as I say, that we'll go back to that. In volume two, Publius does all of this by first describing in subdivision one, the delicate work of the convention and the general form of the proposed government. And then in the second subdivision of volume two, 
which we'll also talk about today, he talks about the quality or the general mass of power invested in the proposed Constitution and whether the power is dangerous to the states, because that was what was so concerning to most of the citizens of the states, all the citizens of America. In the third subdivision of Volume 2, which we'll discuss next month in our next program, Publius shows how the powers must be separated into the parts of new government, the legislative branch, and both of the branches contained therein, the House and the Senate, which you just talked about, the Senate portion, (laughs) the executive and the judiciary. Finally, he covers some of the miscellaneous objections to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, followed by a conclusion. So that That is the outline of the second volume that we're going to discuss, those first two that we're going to discuss today. And today we begin our inquiry into the delicate work of the convention and the general form of the proposed Constitution and the quality of the power invested in it. Okay. Well, Ben Martin, let's go to break. This is a cliffhanger for us on the Federalist Papers. We're going to go to break, and uh, when we come back, we'll continue on with this very important uh, discussion of the Federalist Papers, uh, and we're into Volume 2 now, so we'll be right back. Before we go, Hooters is the spot to be this summer. Enjoy Hooters beach-worthy seafood items like amazing fish tacos, delicious snow crab legs, and mouth-watering buffalo shrimp. And Hooters has plenty of ice-cold beer options to help you cool down this summer. Additional happenings, they have nine items for $9 from 11 to 3 p.m. Monday through Friday. You can choose from nine delicious menu items such as fish and shrimp tacos, salads, cheeseburger, Philly cheesesteak, and, of course, the boneless wings. So you can get, get those if you dine in, but be sure and stop by, get your wings to go, or you can have them delivered right to your front door. Be sure to check out HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com. And let them know that you know the AmeriChicks. All AmeriChicks sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. And now introducing Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland for sponsoring the new Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins. In Denver and Castle Rock, Kim would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Denver and YourTownTaxpayers.com for their generous support. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today at AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. We are having an important conversation with Ben Martin. Uh, he is an expert on the Federalist Papers, our founding. Uh, he's a former Army Ranger. And uh, so we're talking, we're getting into the meat now of the Federalist Papers. We're getting into the second volume. Uh, so go ahead and take it from there, Ben. Okay, well, so we talked about this before. We're going to the second volume and in the 
second volume starts with a subdivision that says, concerning the difficulties of the convention in devising a proper form of government. And it's so parallel to what is happening today, where in in Madison, who writes all of this, talks about, we have all of these people that are complaining about our proposed constitution. And they propose when they complain about the same thing in different manners, and they complain about everything in it. And they said, in what the basically 37, the first part of 37 is saying, and it's, and it's really almost hilarious to read, read this, and I recommend everybody read it, because he says they, they, they complain about it, but he says they don't offer anything better for it. They're, in fact, they're, they can think of nothing better. Well, how about free stuff? They're offering, have here. they're offering all kinds of free stuff. Not in here. They're not there. Uh, now. Because our founder, our, the people that, that populated our country when we were founding did, did have a lot more self-responsibility than our general population has today. I have to say that. But so when we talk about all of these things and what he talks about in 37 is that this form of government is the best government that has ever seen the world. He said, you know, in, in the second one, we're talking about 30, 37 here, but in 38, he goes into, and they, they're kind of frustrated. They said, you know, we have looked, and when they talk about the difficulties again in, in the, the convention and forming a proper form of government, he says, we have no examples from the from the past. He said, and he talks about all the ancient governments and the problems they, they studied. Had. They studied they all studied of this. They studied all of these, yeah. and he, he talks about 13 famous governments in particular when he talks about these. But this brings, all of this brings to mind what Benjamin Franklin said at the closing of the Constitutional Convention. And, and, it, and it really brings it to mind, and, and he actually parallels these things. So I'm going to have, have a short version of that, which okay. I'd like to read, and it kind of sets the tone for what we've talked about, and especially in here. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and so he stands up and he talks to the president of the convention, which has been, so we have Benjamin Franklin talking to George Washington, our two essential founders, basically mm-hmm. talking. The Constitution is all drafted it's all it's it's been set out on the table for everyone to sign and it's been read that morning so everybody has read the final version of the constitution and then we still have they some didn't have to pass it before they uh, before they read it well they, that's correct they, they did they read it and for a, over 100 days they were reading this constitution and getting it all right got it. and so at the end but there's still three people we know in the audience right now that, that are refusing to sign it and and some are kind of on the fence post. So Benjamin Franklin gets up and says this, Mr. President, I confess that there are several parts of this Constitution which I do not approve. But, sir, I am not sure I shall never approve them for having lived long. I have experienced, I have experienced many instances of being obliged by better information or fuller consideration to change opinions, even on important subjects that I once thought right but found to be otherwise. It is therefore that the older I grow, the more apt I am to doubt my own judgment and to pay more respect to the judgment of others. In these sentiments, sir, I agree to this Constitution with all its faults, if they are such, because I think a general government is necessary for us, going back to the first Mm -hmm. volume, the necessity of it. I doubt, too, whether any other convention we can obtain and may be, a, may be able to make a better constitution. For when you assemble a number of men to have the advantage of their joint wisdom, you inevitably assemble with those men all of their prejudices, their passions, their errors of opinion, 
their local interest, and their selfish views. From such an assembly, can a perfect production be expected? It therefore astonishes me, sir, to find this system approaching so near to perfection as it does. And I think it will astonish our enemies who are waiting with confidence to hear that our councils are confounded like those of the builders of Babel and that our states are on the point of separation only to meet hereafter for the purpose of cutting one another's throats. Thus, I consent, sir, to this constitution because I expect no better. And because I am not sure that it is not the very best. Wow. Did he change their minds, Ben Martin? Everyone in there signed except for three people. Yes, he did change the minds. And, and he, kind of conf- he kind of brought it all together talking about all these men were very accomplished people and they had mm-hmm. big egos. They had great opinions of themselves. So he added this one last sentence there, one last mm-hmm. statement. On the whole, sir, I cannot help expressing a wish that every member of the convention who may, not, who may still have objections to it would with me on this occasion doubt a little of his own infallibility and to make manifest our unanimity put his name to this instrument wow that is amazing ben martin and so uh, so everybody but three people in that room signed that after all that work after all that work okay. yeah. D- do you remember who the three were that didn't sign yes sure they were uh, the man named for gerrymander was there. He was from Massachusetts. He did not sign it. And uh, George Mason was the one that everybody, he was from Virginia, and everybody expected him to sign it, and he didn't. And Rutledge didn't sign it. He was a governor. He was a governor that Madison had given him the draft to propose his the the uh, his plan for government, mm-hmm. which was the big state plan for government. So those three guys, and the main reason most of them didn't sign it was because uh, they didn't have a bill of rights into it. And and we'll talk about that in in the last uh, in number eighty four, okay. why we didn't think and I still believe we don't we didn't need a bill of rights because of the way the Constitution was written, which was written different from the state constitutions. And I, we'll talk about that later. Get closer, okay? Yeah, but but I wanted to give everybody this about Franklin when he talks about that this may be this is the best government that is that we have ever seen. Well, and you think about it, and uh, that's ben what Martin. the merits are. That's yeah. what we're going to talk about in the second. But the results, the American idea, which is embodied here in the Constitution, has allowed everyday regular people to thrive and prosper. It's uh, it has brought more people uh, out of poverty than any other uh, uh, society, you know, known to to history. And there is such an assault on it right now, too. Greatly, greatly being assaulted right now. And that's why these Vito and Veritas, the study, the Federalist Papers is so important so that we know why we believe what we believe. And that's why we're doing the show with you. So uh, so we're now into the second volume. So take it from there. So in this volume, too, it's not only what the founders, what the framers believed, but this is what the people believe because of the way that George Washington, when he wrote the draft letter to send, I mean, when he wrote the letter, the transmittal letter to the, con- the, the Congress to send this proposed document for this proposed Constitution, he said that this is not to be approved by the state legislatures, but by conventions of the people of the states. 
So, I mean, that was really important, too. So this was in was at the time a unanimous approval of a document, the document, the form of government, uh, the government under which we live. And that that's really important. And it was approved by the people. And that's why we start the Constitution with we are the people. Imagine that. So we're going to talk about this in there. And so 37 is really a good document because it starts off by talking about the difficulties. And I'm just going to read a a couple of passages and then we'll go on to, to the next one. But the important passages in this, it is a misfortune inseparable from human affairs that public measures are rarely investigated with the spirit of moderation, which is essential to a just estimate of their real tendency to advance or to obstruct the public good. And that spirit, that spirit of moderation is more apt to be diminished than prompted or by occasions which require an unusual exercise of it. You know, when people get Emotional, that's what he's talking about. We get away from what we're really talking about in a true evaluation mm-hmm. of it. And we talk about the public good. And remember, we talked about in the first segment the two objects, the two principal objects of our Constitution. And one is to protect individual rights that we talk about mm-hmm. in our Declaration of Independence. And the second one is to promote the public good. The general welfare. Well, and that those words have been co-opted over the years. Absolutely co-opted and does not mean what it meant meant then and what it definitely meant. And that's what we had. We had legislatures that did that. But and that's why Jefferson, what George Washington wrote in his farewell address, we should not have parties. Parties always look for the benefit of the party. Mm-hmm. If we don't have parties, they will come together and compromise for the public good. You know, state A may want this and state B may want may want something else. And they can both get some of that, but they have to they have to take it away so that their state in particular is not being enhanced by it, and this other state is being hurt. There has to be a compromise made, and that's what the founders and the framers meant by the public good. It has to be for the good of everybody, or or we don't do it. You know, we don't do we don't single and point out things, especially for one particular class of people. That's faction, and we talked about that in great detail. Madison did in number ten, which is the most famous of these, or what they're doing now. This intersectionality of, if you will, of these different groups, uh, which the founders, human nature is constant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can see that the same issues that they were talking about back then, we are seeing right now in America as well. And so it's, this is why we're so excited about Vino and Veritas. Right. Go to my website uh, to sign up and get more information at americhicks.com uh, because we need to know why we believe what we believe. Ben Martin, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we will continue on. Okay. Hey, before we go to break, we're talking with John Buckingham with Presidential Wealth Management. And yesterday, we talked about the inversion in the yield curve, and you kind of touched on the Fed. Are they going to cut interest rates? Well, right now, the expectation is that they will cut at least once, if not twice this year. Um, I think that they're getting a lot of pressure, unfortunately, politically, to make a change. Um, So... Yeah, I do think that we will see at least one rate cut by the end of the year, even though it's probably not necessary. Well, it probably isn't necessary because GDP numbers have been good and employment numbers are good. So and you're saying they're getting political pressure from. Well, I think they're getting pressure from 
President Trump in the sense that he wants that economy to keep pushing forward rather than having the volatility that we have seen. A drop in interest rates slightly might help that okay. to happen, and it might also help the inversion of the yield curve we talked about yesterday. So there is that, but I think there's also pressure from the big banks to make a cut. Uh, their spreads are being hurt a little bit here with that inversion because... Because the short-term money is more expensive. Right. So ah, they are paying okay. their clients. So your savings accounts are earning about 2% right now. They have to pay that to you. And then they turn around and loan your money back out to other people at higher rates. But if the 10-year and 30-year are lower, that cuts the spread of what their profit margin is. So with a 10-year at 2%, 30-year mortgages are right around 3.7. Okay. So there's only a 1.7% spread there that they can make money off of versus the normal 3. Okay. So it's cutting into their margins, and I think that's what's really driving the pressure Interesting. To cut rates here. Okay, interesting. And uh, so, um, and what do you think about the economy right now, John Buckingham? Uh, domestically, we're very strong. I think the biggest concern here is the potential for the tariffs to escalate into more of a war with China to where that can hurt so, our domestic production because of the potential slowdown. Okay, so we'll have to watch that then. That is, a, that is what we're concerned about, correct? Okay, and if you're concerned about your own personal economy, John, I know you and all the great people over at Presidential Wealth Management can sit down and help people with their personal economy. That is correct. So for more information, check out chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com. And uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow morning, John Buckingham. That sounds good. We'll talk to you then. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. Come join the 88 Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person and children under 12 are free. Friday, July 19th through Thursday, July 25th, features will include The Lion King, Toy Story 4, and Spider-Man Far From Home. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special. Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on americhicks.com.
Welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Having a really terrific uh, conversation with Ben Martin. He is a former Army Ranger. He's an expert on the Federalist Papers, on our founding. And uh, we had Vino and Veritas last night in, at uh, Waters as Winery. We will be, uh, you know, we have the other two, one in Castle Rock and one in Fort Collins. If you'd like more information about Vino and Veritas, go to my website and sign up and we'll get that for you. But uh, when we were in break, Ben Martin, you'd mentioned that there was another quote that you wanted to share with our listeners. I certainly did. And I wanted to say one other thing about Numbers 37, which is the first part of the second volume, first first essay there. And it is perhaps, it's thought by the experts to be perhaps the most philosophical of all of the essays. So that should give people mm-hmm. a reason to try to grab it. And it, it provides an overview that we'll look at through all these other essays of the complexity and enormity of the task confronting our framers in in framing a new constitution. And so he starts out, they've already framed the constitution, obviously, it's already been out there in the newspapers and it's in the volumes that he's talking about. But he says that it's, it's impossible for the man of pious reflection not to perceive in the constitution a finger of that almighty hand of which has been so frequently and signally extended to our relief in the critical stages of the revolution. So there we're going back to the trust in the Almighty. So we need to we need to grab that again today too, to to do that. So it's it's very important, and we know that the founders believed in that. Benjamin Franklin. I'm not going to talk about that today, but he had this plea for prayer in the Constitution, mm-hmm. and he talked about going back to the Revolution when they when he was in Congress, and he said, you know, we all prayed every day here because we were we had we were in need of it. <laughs> Well, you know, and to that point, there has been a, a big deception that's been going on regarding, you know, quote unquote, separation of church and state, implying that the founders uh, might not have been faithful people, saying some of them were deists or whatever. When you really look at history, when you really know what you're talking about, George Washington had the Continental Troops pray. Ben Franklin, they say he's a deist, but yet he acknowledged prayer. Yeah. And so it's. It's, publicly, yeah, yeah, publicly. So it's it's kind of it's dishonest it's and a dis- dishonest. and it's a deception uh, that we and we're letting our our kids down on that. And again, this is another reason why we are doing Vino and Veritas, the study of the Federalist pa- oh, and Papers. That's so good. Yes. I, I was talking to a young mom. And uh, she said that she went to public school. Uh, her husband was homeschooled, and he learned so many of the homeschoolers are coming out with these great educations. And she said, I'm loving Vino and Veritas. And she said, I never learned any of this in school. And I said, did you feel cheated? And she said, yes. Especially we, now. Yes. We are cheating our kids. So carry on here, and Ben we're, Martin. We're cheating those people that are coming up with all of these ideas, especially the 20 plus that we, we see talking about all the free stuff. But we go into 38 next. In the 38, uh, you know, just like people, if they want to, the, the framers talk and Madison talks in Publius in, in this volume, or this essay, and he, he talks about, hey, you know, we're trying to form this this good government, this great government. And he says, I can't find any examples from history. And he was a great, he was a great reader of history. He was a great lover of history. And he, and he says, look, there, there are no examples out there to show what, what happened. We, we are, we're kind of flying blind right now. And he says, we're having to do all this ourselves. And he lists three examples of famous governments 
that were failed. And he also talks about and there makes a difference between those. And he says all of these governments were framed by a single individual. And, and, and he wants to show a difference between that and the way our government was framed. Well, Interesting. We, we brought representatives from every state, with which all had different points of view, just like Benjamin Franklin said in there. You know, people bring with them their own prejudices, their, their, their own personal interest. And he says that we were able to form this government is almost a miracle. And, and anyway, he lists 13 governments in there that were framed. And he talked to these were famous governments. Governments like the Athens and the Lucretians and the Spartans and the Cretans and the in Rome original and then Rome later. Uh, it, so in the the uh, the Archean government too. These governments are very famous from history. If, and if you read ancient history, you can see that. But they were all framed by people like Draco and Solon. You know those names might come to come into people's ears really quickly. Or Romulus in Rome. Okay, I just have to interject something sure. here. Now, studying like this, this isn't for just great minds or anything. I mean, they, people studied all this stuff. And I am so concerned about the educational system in our, in our country today. Instead of focusing on learning about all of these different governments and why our government is a good one, you know, we've got state of Colorado mandating a sex education curriculum. Right. The founders never thought, and, and the founders thought education was important, but oh. they're thinking about this kind of education. Oh, absolutely. They're thinking about education. They're talking about philosophy. They're talking about what makes a person a good person. You know, they're talking about virtues. And I have to tell you, to add to what you said, these these things that we're talking about were Greek and Roman governments. These weren't written in English at the time. They not only had to study them, but they had to learn the languages in which they were written before they could study them. So they they had to learn those lessons, and that's what grammar school was for our founders. They learned the grammar of, of Greek, and they learned the grammar of Latin so they could go back to history and, and read these texts. So we'll go to number 39, which is the conformity. It's an important one, conformity of the plan to Republican principles. And I look at this, and I think, you know, this is one of the most important ones because most people today don't even understand what Republican principles are. And so we're going to talk a little bit about about that, about the so in thirty nine they define Republican principles and they talk about the purpose of the Constitution conformed is to conform to those standards. And proof of this in the provisions of the Constitution are there. And, and it's neither wholly federal nor wholly national. They talk about that at the same time, and that's to balance it, because a lot of the states under the Confederation, it was a completely, almost you know, it was a very weak central government and a very strong state government, which is the definition generally of a federalist government. So he talks about there. So he's talking about balance and he's talking about the principles in here. And in this essay, Publius takes up two highly important concerns. First, he sets forth the true principles of Republican, republicanism, which calls for direct or indirect control over government by the great body of society. That's really important, not from an inconsiderable proportion or a favored class, but from the great body of society. Secondly, he undertakes to answer anti-federalist critics who charge that the proposed constitution Constitution calls for a consolidated national or unitary government that does not conform to the principles of federalism. 
He examines the proposed system from five different vantage points and concludes that it is neither wholly national nor wholly federal, but it is a composite of both. And and that's really important. So I'm going to go through really quickly those five criteria that he talks about in there. And he says, the founding... It's neither neither national nor federal constitution, but a constitution of both. First, the foundation, it is federal in the in the foundation in our founding of our constitution. It is a federal government, not national. And we talk about the ratification of the people by states. So the people the people voted by those those conventions. Mm-hmm. Okay, that they had. So they voted as individuals, and but then the state voted as a as a state. So in that part, it's federal. In the first part, it's national. And then, and that's the point that he he makes a big difference between the the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution. In the in the Articles of Confederation, you had to have unanimous unanimous approval, which is hardly ever going to which happen. is never going to happen. But in here, we're having. A nine of the 13 states have to vote. That's that's a big majority, but mm-hmm. it's not unanimous. And so that makes it an individual or so it makes it a national. So that's it's not that's what he talks about in here. The founding was was federal, not national in there because it was mostly by the states, but not totally by the states because it was not it did not have to be unanimous. Second, he said the sources from which ordinary powers of government are drawn. Partly federal and partly national. The House, obviously, the the people in the the House of Representatives were voted by a national election. The people vote for individuals in that. In the Senate, the states voted. You know, the House is in the states. Yeah, Yeah, they voted for it. And and we, we don't do that today. And that's one of the things that we can... You know, thank with tongue in cheek. Right. We can thank Wilson for because that unbalanced our system very, very much. And so that, you know, that that the founders had put in place. And I don't know if we'll ever get that back, but that would be a big thing to get. Okay, I need to go back here. Just just a moment again. Federal, because it took me a while to get these figured out. So Mm -hmm. a a um, federal type of government is what we have. No, right. we have a combination okay. of federal and national. A lot of things, and that's what we're, that's what I'm pointing out in here, that some things that they're done by the state and other things are done by the federal. So when you refer to national, that's things that are done by the state. No, the no. national is done by the population. Like when we vote for the people that are representing us in the House of Representatives. That's a national election. Individuals are voting for a person. Okay, so you're saying that, uh, so national means individuals. Well, it mean, yes, it means individuals, but it means that all, everybody working towards one thing, not as uh, not as states. Okay, so everybody, for example, the House of Representatives, everybody in the country votes for a representative. Correct. Now, until it was changed by uh, those progressive um, amendments in the Constitution, another one, which I, the income tax. 716 and 17, yes. Uh, So that that happened back then. But the founders were so careful because they wanted to make sure they honored the states as well. They had to. And so that's why they had, for the Senate, the states at that time were going to elect the senator. And And it wasn't just the states. It was the state legislatures. Okay. Okay. So what this what the the senators were were some of the 
uh, the best people, the most virtuous, the most statesmanship, the most statesmanlike, they had, you know, because every state knew that every other state was going to send their, their best. best people. And so they wanted their best people to go there, too. And that's why some of these Senate debates back then were, were just unbelievable. You read the transcripts of them and you go, my goodness. Wow. OK, <laughs> we're going to go to break. We only have one more segment, Ben Martin. This all goes so quickly. Okay, so this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. I have in studio with me Ben Martin. He is an expert on the Federalist Papers. We're talking about the Federalist Papers, and we'll be right back. Hey, and something that should be on your radar, Natalie Minton is sponsoring through Colorado Engaged a Taxpayers' Bill of Rights boot camp. It's a training. It'll be on August 3rd at the Lakewood Library, which is at 10200 West 20th Avenue. It'll be from 11 to 2 p.m. with a 1030 check-in time. Natalie is asking people for $20 to cover all the costs. It includes a booklet, refreshments, and a T-shirt for each participant. And you can sign up for this training at coloradoengaged.com. That's coloradoengaged.com. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect your private property rights. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. Since losing her mother to breast cancer, Karen Levine has helped to organize a local fundraising event called Karen's for the Cure, raising money for breast cancer research. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. So call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Social media is important to the Americhicks. Since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at AmeriChicks Twitter and Facebook pages. Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the AmeriChicks radio show. Contact us at AmeriChicks.com or email Kim at AmeriChicks.com. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Welcome back to the Ameritics with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Be sure and check out my website, Ameritix.com. Sign up for my emails. I'll keep you apprised of all the upcoming guests, topics, important issues. And then also at my website, Ameritix.com, you can sign up for Vino and Veritas. It's the study of the Federalist Papers. We have one at Water's Edge Winery uh, right, uh, right here uh, in the metro area down in Castle Rock uh, with Colorado Cork and Keg. And then up in Fort Collins, we just started one at Ginger and Baker. So for more information, go to my website. You can sign up there and we'll get the information to you. Thrilled to have in studio with me Ben Martin, former Army Ranger, uh, a historian, a patriotic historian. We're talking about the Federalist Papers and it's an important conversation. So uh, let's uh, let's get into get it. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me just say one thing to everybody out there that's listening. I, I highly recommend that you read 
Federalist Paper Number 39. Okay. Because that one says the conformity of this plan to the Republican principles. And in it, it gives the Republican principles, and it talks about the various parts of our government and how they work, whether they work in a federal manner or they work in a national manner. Got it. And okay. so that's, I think that's important for everybody to understand as they go forward. And the Federalists, you know, were, that's where they wanted a balance. And the Federalists were the ones that made the Constitution and were promoting the Constitution, like Madison and Hamilton and Jay. And so you, you have to understand their perspective, and their perspective was one of balance. We did not have really political parties back then, and it was for the general welfare that they did this. And we're going to talk about this in the conclusion here, about that particular thing, the general welfare, the common good. So now we're going to go to the second subdivision in here, which which, which we talk about, and that is the powers of the go- of the government. And these are essays 41 through 46. Okay, just a quick question. Let's sure. Very quickly, you said there were five criteria in 39. I think we got the foundation. I said the source, I think. Right. I didn't write down the other three. Quick. Okay, I can do those for you really quickly okay. here without going through them. So we have the foundation. The, the sources from uh, from which ordinary powers of government are drawn. Okay. Okay, that's that's really important. The third is the operation of these powers. Okay. You know, how these powers are operated on. And again, we talk about in the first volume, and we talk about here, and we're going through there, that the that was one of the reasons why the Articles of Confederation, the AOC, failed, because they operated upon the state. Got it. And they said, no, our Constitution has to operate upon the individual. Okay. So that's a really critical uh, operating point of our Constitution today that is supposed to operate on the people, not the states. Okay. okay and so the fourth is the extent of these powers. And that is, that's important. So that's number four. And number five is the authoritative mode of introducing amendments to the Constitution. Okay. Okay. So those are the five. And at the end of the thing, again, he says that it, our government is not a national government. It's not a federal government. It's a combination of both. Got it. And that satisfied and that balanced our government so that it was for the common good, the general welfare. Now, the second part, number 41, the second subdivision, the articles 41 through 46, This is also a very important one because this, in that we talk about all of the powers that are listed in our Constitution, and that is really important. A lot of people don't know what these powers are. So I'm going to talk about it. The way Madison talked about it was he said when he starts into 41, in 41 he talks about all of these powers and how the, the classes of them, and then he talks about in there also he talks about the first of these powers. So the six powers, so that everybody knows that, The six powers are, first of all, the enumerated powers that are conferred to Congress. Now, where do we find most of those that are conferred to Congress? That's in in Article 1, Section 8, and Section 9, and Section 10, or the way, say, these powers 
or actually denied to Congress, and number 10, they're denied to the states. So in those denials, there are also powers in there. And so that so that's really important. So that's number that's the first class of power. The second class of power, which we just talked about, are powers denied to Congress. And then the third class are powers denied to the states. And then the fourth is the states. Uh, the fifth, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, talking about these things. These are, you know, these are the articles that they that they all go to. And and uh, let me try to. Let's see. What, number four. What did you say? Was, what was that? Number mean? four was the states. Number five were the amendments. You know, uh, we have then six, and these are constitution. These are constitutional articles. The transition from the AOC to the Constitution, okay. and then of course the seventh was the ratification. And so, to to uh, the powers of, of these the classes were, I'm sorry, because I, I gave you the articles and not the classes at the time. But the classes were of power were one the defense. Okay. That was the important. That was you know important. That's the thing about survival mm-hmm. preservation. The second one was commerce with foreign nations. The relations, this third was the relations between the states. The fourth was the miscellaneous objects of general utility, which is, we'll talk about that. This restraint, and the, the next was the restraints upon the states. And the last one, the, the sixth of those was the provisions for giving due efficacy to the foregoing powers, all of the powers we talked about before. Okay. So and then I talked about the the articles in the Constitution because these relate where these located. And so that's why th- this is really important. So in number 41, which is the first one in here, they talk, he talks about, he sets all this, these classes together and he, he, he lists all, all six of them. And then he talks about the first class, the defense. And he says, in discussion of the common defense, Publius again warns of the dangers and futility of trying to limit the powers of national National government, the means of security, he says, can only be regulated by the means of the danger of attack. In other, in you know, in, mm-hmm. in other words, they have to the means and the ends mm-hmm. have to be together. Mm-hmm. So we have we have to do we have to do that, and that's to say this is repeated throughout the Federalist Papers and throughout our Constitution. So that's that's really important. He talks about that. So that's forty one and forty two. I'm going to kind of go through these fast because I know we're running out of time. The class of powers number two and number three are in there. Number two, the commerce with foreign nations. And number three, the relations among nations. And he, and he talks about it in there. And in there, it's really important. He talks about slavery. And that's one of the places in the in the Federalist Papers where he talks about slavery. And they talk about how they're prohibiting slavery, prohibiting the importation of slaves after 1808. Right. Okay. And so that's a really, that's a really important one. And 42. And that's 42. And number 40, and he talks about two classes of power there. In 43, he talks about the fourth class of power, the miscellaneous objects 
of general utility. And in, in that, those things I really talk about, he talks about the federal city of D.C., the punishment of treason. These are all miscellaneous objects that you can't really put into one place or the other. The government of territories, the making of new states, those kind of things. So those are all, those are the kind of things he's talking about in there. In 44, he, he talks about the class of power number five, the restraint upon the states. And that's mostly in Article One of se- in Section 10. Section 10 of Article 1, where it talks about the powers that are prohibited to the states, or the restraining upon the states. And then in, in number, the cl- sixth class of power, the provision of giving true efficacy to the foregoing powers. And that is mostly Article 1, Section 8, and Article 6. Okay. okay, so in that, so Article 6 is really important in our Constitution, and that's our transition from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution. And so we talk about that. So we've talked about all of the, five, all of the six classes, and then we go into number 45, and then we say in there the alleged dangers from the powers of the Union to the state governments. And they talk about in there, what is this, what is this thing that we're talking about where we talk about necessary and proper? And he talks about that again in there and it's the same thing that he's talked about before and that is the means the means in, 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 in the in the in the ends that they have to be they have to be proportionate okay. so in in six goes into 46 goes into that too so with all of that and i know we're getting uh, we're getting really close to the end and and what he would really want to say in here in the important passage from 45 that kind of puts all this to it's it's, it is too early for politicians to presume on our forgetting that the public good, or remember the public good, the general welfare, the second objective of the Constitution, the real welfare of the great body of the people is the supreme object to be pursued, and that no form of government, whatever, has any other value than as it may be fitted for the attainment of this object. Wow. That, and that really sums it all up again. And that is repeated. That's a theme that's repeated throughout the Constitution, individual rights and the general welfare. Wow. Ben Martin, this has been absolutely fascinating. So we'll have you back next month. Next right? month. And we're going to talk about the, the powers, the separation of powers, number 51, which is one of my favorite parts. Okay. And I think it should be most people's favorite part. Well, thanks for being here. I was happy to be here. Okay. So our quote for today is Alexander Hamilton. He says, when a government betrays the people by amassing too much power and becoming tyrannical, the people have no choice but to exercise their original right of self-defense to fight the government. And we do that through words and ideas. So and to, votes. And votes. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America. Yay.